Well, let me begin this morning by saying welcome to the jungle. Um, and as you can see here, um, we need to discuss the elephant in the room. So, Justin, will you come up here for a second, please? Just stay up here all, all, all morning because you're the one that wanted me to address the elephant in the room. So, well, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. I hope each of you are doing well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This morning, um, we are beginning a new sermon series um, entitled, David, a man after God's own heart. And here's what we know about David. David was not a perfect man, but he was God's man. And he was appointed at a specific time in human history to lead the people of Israel. Even to this day, King David is still considered to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so, as I indicated earlier, this morning's message is a setup message. And so, before we really can look into um, why Israel had their first king, King Saul, or their second king, King David, we really need to know what was going on within Israel. What was going on within um, that, that caused them to want or need a king to begin with? From the time of Moses until the appointing of the first king, King Saul, the nation of Israel was the only nation in the world that was a theocracy. Okay, a theocracy is a nation whose leader is God. Before King Saul, God was the king of Israel. He was their leader. He was their, 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 their master that would go before them in battle, that would lead them and guide them and instruct them. But all of that would change when the people cried out for a king in the person of of King Saul. God made a covenant promise with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. And God spoke these words to Abraham. He said, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And then under the leadership of Moses, God reaffirmed to Moses and the nation of Israel that he was going to be their God, their leader. In Exodus 29, 45 through 46, we read these words, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God made it very, very clear from the very beginning that he was their king, that he was their leader, that he was their guide. Following the death of Moses, Joshua would be appointed the leader of the Israelites. And following the death of Joshua, Israel really became a hot mess. They, they, they turned to the worship of other gods. They, they incorporated the gods of the land of Canaan into their, their worship. You still had a leadership structure. You still had priests who were appointed to, to the, the service of the Lord. You had prophets who, were the, um, who would speak the words of the Lord. And then you had judges that rose up. Okay? These judges acted as military leaders. And notice what we read in the book of Judges. 
Okay, in Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, we read these words. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Then they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnah Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaius. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Notice verse 11, it says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people's who were around them and bowed to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. I think if you and I were to do a current assessment of our nation or of our world, we would probably say that we resemble um, the nation of Israel today. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that we have turned to the worship of other gods other than the one true God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? I think if we look around us, we could definitely say that that is true. Not all, obviously, but many, many people. Every single day, they get up and they bow down at, 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 at the God of success. They get up and they bow down to the God that they have appointed in their lives called their children. Every single day, we see this happening. At the last verse of Judges chapter 21 we read these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in Judges 2, we see that everyone did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And now we see here at the closing page, closing verse of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This morning's message is entitled this, When God No Longer Satisfies. And that's exactly what was happening within Israel. God was no longer satisfying the people. God was the king of Israel, but the people did not want God as their king. They wanted to be like the other nations of the world. They wanted a physical man to sit on a physical throne to lead them, to rule over them, and to guide them during times of battle. And here's our message point this morning. It's this, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Israel is going to ask for a king. And notice how the Lord responds to that request. The first point this morning is this, Israel demands a king. So if you have your Bibles, once again, turn within to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to be just walk through um, all 22 verses together this morning. And we're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 6. And this is what the Lord's Word says. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed, to the Lord. 
Samuel is old. He has children, but his children are not following after the ways of the Lord. They are practicing things that are dishonest, and they're not serving the Lord and being used of the Lord as they were intended to be. And then, um, and, and this is not the first time that Israel has cried out for a king, okay? Um, nor w- would it be the last, but it, it, this isn't the first time, but we read this in Judges chapter 8, verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. You know, over and over, Israel has cried out for different things. And over and over, God has made it very clear to the people of Israel that he was their God, that he was their king, and that he was their leader. What are the Israelites crying out for? They're crying out to be like the other nations of the world. You know what that's called? That's called worldliness. How many times have you ever wanted to be like someone else? Remember the the motto, be like Mike? Be like Michael Jordan. I mean, think about the number of kids when I was growing up that wanted to be just like Michael Jordan. I mean, that's probably one of the greatest slogans ever. Be like Mike. Every single day, if we're not careful, we will aspire to be like someone else as opposed to being the people that God created us to be and set us apart to be. Well, the nation of Israel, they want to be like every other nation. Man, they want to be like the other nations who had a king that sat on a throne that ruled over them. Every single day, if we're not careful, our pursuit could be for better jobs, for bigger homes, for fancier cars, or more exotic wardrobes. Or we could put undue pressure on our children to become someone or something that we want them to be instead of the person that God wants them to be. You know, I think we all want our kids to excel at what they do, don't we? Well, sometimes we want them to excel for our glory as opposed to them excel so that God can be glorified in and through them. What would happen if we raised great athletes that served the Lord? Or we raised great musicians that served the Lord? Or, or, or we raised great academians who served the Lord. What would happen if we invested in our children, not so they can gain personally on the face of this earth, but invested in them so that they could use their talents to glorify the Lord? You know what made the nation of Israel different from every other nation? It was God. He was their king. He was their leader. He promised them if they would obey him, they would prosper within the land of Israel. God does not want you and I to be like the other nations of this world, does he? You know what God has called us to? He has called us to holiness, hasn't he? God wants us to be like him. He doesn't want us to be like anyone else because each and every one of us in this room have been uniquely created, uniquely gifted. He created us special for him. He didn't create us to be like anyone else. That's why every single one of us have different fingerprints. It's amazing to think of all the billions of people on this planet, no one has fingerprints like yours. You are uniquely made. He didn't create you to be like anyone else. He didn't create the nation of Israel to be like the other nations. He created them uniquely to be his. 
to be separate from the world, to be holy. He created them to be an example for the other nations, not to be absorbed within the other nations. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, we read this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Every other nation of the world had rebelled against God, but the nation of Israel was the nation that God had uniquely created to be his, had, had, had grafted in as his possession. But because they had no true leader, so they thought, they cry out for a king. But the nation of Israel had a true leader, didn't they? They had the God who created all things, who spoke creation into existence. They had the God that delivered Abraham, I mean Noah and his family, from the raging floodwaters. They had the God who delivered them from Pharaoh's captivity. They had the God who split the Red Sea. They had the God that provided for their every need during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of their rebellion. They had the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of Aaron, of Joshua, of Gideon, of Deborah, of Samson, to name just a few. That was their God, their leader and their king. And now they have Samuel as their leader. Now Samuel, Samuel was an amazing man. If you remember several, um, a couple years ago we did a message on, on Samuel and looked at his life and looked at his mom, Hannah. Samuel um, was, was a miracle child. Hannah was barren, and Hannah went into the temple, and she prayed for a son. And she said, Lord, if you give me a son, then I am going to give this son over to you to be used for your glory. And that's exactly what the Lord did, isn't it? Lord gave Samuel to Hannah. And what did Hannah do? Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord. He was raised um, in the household of Eli. Eli was a priest. Samuel would be the last judge of Israel. He was a prophet. He was a priest. And he would also anoint the first two kings of Israel. And the psalmist penned these words about him. In Psalm 99.6, we read this. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. Moses, Aaron, and Samuel petitioned to the Lord on behalf of the people of the Lord. Man, I, I just, that's just such an amazing verse when I think about it. You know, the psalmist could have written about any person, but he wrote about these three, Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, because they were faithful men. They petitioned the Lord on behalf of the people of the Lord. Samuel was a great man of God, but he was not enough for the people of God. So they cry out for a king. In verse 6 we read, but the king displeased Samuel. But the, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The people of Israel had disregarded everything God had done for them in the past. They had failed time and time and time again to remember God's blessings, God's provisions, and God's protection. And now notice what Samuel has done. Samuel has done what? 
He didn't turn to anybody other than the Lord. He went to the Lord and he petitioned the Lord on behalf of the people. You know, I think that Samuel took this attack personally because by the people demanding a king, what they were telling Samuel is that you're not good enough, Samuel. And they were telling God, God, you're not good enough for us. How many times have we done that? How many times have we told God, God, you're not good enough for me? So what am I going to do? I'm going to turn to the things of this world for answers or for pleasures or for guidance. Nation of Israel said, you're not good enough for us, God. You're not good enough for us, Samuel. And notice what happens next. We see here that God grants Israel's request. In verses 7 through 9, we read these words. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also, so are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The Lord makes it clear to Samuel that they were not rejecting him, but they were rejecting God Almighty. More and more we are seeing this, aren't we? Nation after nation rejecting God. State after state rejecting God. City after city rejecting God. Government after government rejecting God. School district after school district rejecting God. Church after church rejecting God. And home after home rejecting God. Folks, make no mistakes about it. America has rejected God, haven't we? And we are living within the consequences of our rejection. I still, as I shared last week, I still believe that this generation of students will see the greatest movement of God across this nation. I believe that with all of my heart. This is a faithful group of students. And if they would become sold out to the Lord, God is going to use them unlike any other generation of people. We have rejected God. We have replaced God. And we have lived separate from God. And guess what? We are experiencing the consequences of that right now. What is God going to give Israel? He is going to give them exactly what they asked for, a king to sit on the throne. Notice our next point. Samuel warns Israel. They're going to get what they want, but it will come at a high cost to every single Israelite. Beginning in verse 10, we read, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards 
and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you. Israel wants a king, and Israel gets exactly what they want. And six times in this verse, Israel learns, and they hear with their own ears before the first king is ever appointed. They hear about the consequences of their decisions. They will live in bondage to the king. Did you catch what it said? Sons will be required to fight and work and build. Daughters are going to become servants of the king. They will be bakers and perfumers and have to do other things as well. And then they would experience great burdens on behalf of the king. The king will take from their lands. He will require a tenth of their fields, of their flocks. He would take the very best servants and animals that they had, and they would live like slaves. Once again, Israel is going to get exactly what they want. In verse 18, again, we read, And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. They will get what they want. How many times have you gotten exactly what you wanted and you had to live with the consequences of that request? You know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when that happens, right? When we go after worldly things to satisfy our personal pleasures and we get exactly what we wanted. And guess what? With that comes the consequences of our decision, the consequences of us having stepped out of the center of God's will. You know, the nation of Israel, they're going to get exactly what they want. They're going to get a king. Okay, their first king is going to be King Saul, all right? King Saul failed the Lord miserably, okay? They're going to get another king, King David. David will fail the Lord, but David was also a man after God's own heart. Why was he declared a man after God's own heart? Because he recognized when he made a mistake and he turned to the Lord and sought forgiveness. The next king will be Solomon. Solomon is going to be the wisest man that ever has lived on the face of this earth. Well, after Solomon, there's going to be a, a war that's going to happen, basically. There's going to be a divided kingdom. There's going to be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Each kingdom will have their own king. And, and many, many of those kings acted um, unrighteously before God. They did what was evil in the sight of God. There will be a few righteous kings, but for the vast majority of them, they are going to follow after the passions of, of their personal passions. Notice our final point this morning. Israel refused to listen. In verses 19 through 22, we read this, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like 
all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. The warning had been given. The people refused to listen. Think about this, okay? When God was the king of Israel, what did the Lord do? He fought the battles for them. He went before them into battle, right? We read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to to possess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. Notice the difference between having God as the king and having man as a king. When God is a king, God went before them as a consuming fire. But did you notice in verse 11 what happens when man is the king? You remember what it said up there? It says he will destroy the, oh no, go to verse 11. It says this, he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. When God is king, God goes before Israel. When man is king, then these people's children go before the king in to battle. And you can be certain that when they went before the king into battle, many of them perished as a result. When God is the king, he goes before us, right? When we take ownership and leadership and do things apart from God, guess what? They are going to be catastrophic results that occur. Because Israel gets their king, there will be catastrophic results that will happen. God granted the Israelites what they wanted. Know this, God is sovereign, God is in control, but God allows you and I to play a role within human history. You know that, right? You know that God allows us to play a role within human history. When we ask and pray in accordance with God's will, guess what? Over and over, Scripture reminds us and promises us that he will answer us that he will be faithful, and that he will act on our behalf. But notice this, in the same way, when we tell God we don't want him to be involved, guess what God does? God gives us what we want. When we tell him we don't want him in our schools, he says, okay. When we tell him we don't want him in our courts, guess what he says? Okay. When we tell him we don't want him in our government, guess what he says? Okay. When we tell him we don't want him in our homes, guess what he says? Okay. When we tell him we don't want him in our lives, guess what he says? Okay. When we tell him we don't want a relationship with him, guess what? He says, okay. God grants us what we ask. 
When we say, God, we don't want you, he says, okay. But when we say, God, we want you and we need you, guess what God does? He promises us that he will be with us, he'll protect us, he'll guide us, he will lead us, and he will go before us. When we call to him and pray, he answers us. When we invite him to go before us, he goes before us. When we ask him to use us, he uses us. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, verse that all of us are familiar with, it says this, that my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When you and I invite God to be active in our life, he will be active in our lives. But know this also, when we call out to God and, and, and treat him like he's a genie in a bottle and only call on him when we want something for our personal gain, don't, don't expect God to answer you there, okay? The promise is that God will answer us when we pray in accordance with his will. Not when we pray asking for stuff for personal gain, but when we pray in accordance with his will so that we can get what we need in order for the service unto the Lord to happen. Israel would get their king, and what a handsome man he was. In 1 Samuel 9, 2, we read, And he said, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. You know, we see from the very beginning of King Saul, I mean, yeah, King Saul, we see a man that acted evilly in the sight of the Lord. He was a selfish man. He was an arrogant man. Within seven days of him being anointed king, he would offer up a sacrifice unto the Lord separate from Samuel. And as a result of that, he would be punished. And he was told that he would not have a, his, his, his lineage would not go on and on. There would not be another king from his family to be king. That is why there needed to be another king. That is why David was appointed as the second king of Israel by Samuel, because Saul acted um, foolishly and ignorantly and acted out of God's will. In Hosea 13, 11, we read these words. The Lord said, I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. Here's what we can be certain of. The leadership of man will always pale in comparison to God, right? Men will let us down. I probably have let you down as your pastor. I know I've let my children down as their father, and I've let my wife down as her husband. All of us in this room, when we act independently from God, we can be certain that we are going to fail. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short of what God's intended purpose for our life is. But when we act and live in accordance with God's will, guess what? There's going to be blessings. The Lord is going to go before us. The Lord is going to guide us and direct us. And as we go through this sermon series and look at this man, David, we're going to see some incredibly victorious moments we're going to see where he slayed Goliath. We're going to see where, where, where he slayed his ten thousands compared to Saul's thousand. We're going to see a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior of God, but we're also going to see a man that fell short of God's purpose over and over 
again. We're going we're gonna to study about Bathsheba. We're going to study where he failed as a father, where he failed as a king, where he failed as a leader, where he failed as a child of God. We're going to walk through this sermon series, and it's going to be full of good, bad, and ugly moments. But in the end, Saul was de- or David was declared as a man after God's own heart because he was a man like you and I. He fell short, but he turned and asked the Lord to forgive him and to restore him. And that's exactly what the Lord did. Men will let us down, even the very best. But you know who will not let us down? King Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth. And he established his kingdom. He established his rule within the life of his church and in the life of his children. As king, as Lord, as Savior, you and I can find victory from sin. We can find victory from anxiety. We can find victory from self-righteousness. We can find victory from pride, from worldly pursuits, from greed. And we can find victory from the belief that we are not good enough. And I want you to know right now, you are good enough. Israel probably thought that they were not good enough in comparison to the other nations because they didn't look like the other nations. What made Israel good enough was because God was their leader. You know what makes, God, makes you good enough? You're good enough because Jesus is your Savior. Know that this morning. You are good enough because Jesus is your Savior. And because He is your Savior and because of he, he is your Lord, live in accordance with His will for your life. Let Him guide you. Let Him direct you. Let Him go before you because you are good enough. For Israel, the Lord wasn't good enough. Is He good enough for you? Have you entered into a, a relationship with the Lord? Well, you've cried out to him to be your king, to be your Lord, and to be your Savior. If you haven't, why haven't you? What is keeping you from doing that this morning? If you don't know Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make in your life. That is to cry out to King Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and to be the Savior of your life. And what Jesus promises you, if you call out to him, that he'll save you from your sins if you ask him to. And he also promises you this, that he will be your Lord and be your king, and he will go before you and guide you and direct you when you live in accordance with his will. How do we live within the accordance of God's will? Well, we read God's word, we study God's word, and we do what God's word says. We pray to the Lord, we listen to his voice, and when he says go, we go. When he says wait, we wait. When he says turn around, we turn around. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to Cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You may be here this morning. You need to come to this altar and just kneel down and pray. You may need to where you're at. Just just um, during our time of invitation, remain seated and pray. I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but if there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, you come. Let's stand together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the promise of your word, Lord Jesus, that you will go before us. And that you will fight our battles when we cry out to you. Father, here's the reality. The reality is this. That in many ways we're no different from Israel. 
we think that we can act independently of you. And Father, what I've found in my own life is that every time that I act independently of you, I fail miserably. And for Israel, when they acted independently of you, they failed miserably. And Father, when our nation acts independently of you, we fail miserably. When your church acts independently of you, we fail miserably. Father, help us not to act independently of you, but help us, Father God, to follow after you, to let you be our light, to let you be our guide, to let you be the one who goes before us. And we want to follow in your footsteps, Father. Father, I pray now during this time of invitation that there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, that today you will lead them unto salvation. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here, Father, that's been visiting this church for a while and you're leading them to make Friendship Baptist Church their church home, that they will come this morning. Lord, I don't know what decision needs to be made, if any, but I know that you do, Lord. Just lead and guide during this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.